Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we talk about the Yadkin Valley AVA with Thomas Sally representing Wilkes County Tourism and Craig Distel representing Surrey County. As you can tell, we focus on tourism in this episode and how it impacts the area. You learn more about the Yadkin Valley Winery Census that Thomas and Craig conducted, and you learn about how they're trying to get others to talk about North Carolina wine. Wine Class with the Wine Mouths is back. This time, Jesse and Jessica talked to us about San Giovese. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're here today with Thomas Sally and Craig Distel. We're talking about Yakin, the Yakin Valley and tourism and vineyard tourism and all sorts of things about tourism. So guys, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So, Greg, why don't you introduce yourself and tell folks who you are and uh, what's your involvement with tourism and, and that sort of thing in the Yakin Valley? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I have a PR firm and a marketing firm, and, and I represent Surrey County Tourism. Uh, and one of the things we've done over the last 10 years or so is really try to elevate uh, people's perceptions and people's knowledge of Yakin Valley and the tourism there and you know, part of North Carolina and the Yatkin Valley becoming a bona fide wine region is obviously getting recognition through tourism and, and getting wine aficionados there. And so we've done a lot over the last 10 years or so to do that. And uh, Thomas is right next door in Wilkes County, and he does a great job, too. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm Thomas Sally. I'm the I'm tourism director for uh, Wilkesboro. <clears throat> and so... Um, Wilkesboro is the county seat of Wilkes County, and so we have that sort of that surrounding area, and we're uh, promoting the attractions that are kind of within that region that might draw people back into Wilkesboro, and of course the wineries are a big part of that. And you know, prior to taking this job, I worked at Raffaldini Vineyards for uh, twelve years, and um, so I, I was witness to some a lot of what Craig's talking about is the the growth and to expand and see um, the industry grow and, and improve and increase in terms of volume. Uh, and, and vo- volume of visitors and also quality of the product and everything. So um, certainly those efforts that everybody's put in have, have paid off, and I'm excited to see where the where the future of the industry goes. So what do people think of when they hear the term Yakin Valley, typically? Well, from my perspective, I would say, you know, vinifera wines, um, but I'm, I'm sort of in this in, embedded in this industry perspective, you know, and I would right. like to think that people – from outside, maybe consumers or tourists or whatever would think of quality wine. I think that, um, you know, when you get to the, no pun intended, nitty, nitty gritty, you know, the part of the reason why I think that Yakin Valley wines are, are good are because of the soil and the geography and the geology and the climate and those sorts of things. And of course, that can be a lot for the, for the consumer who just wants to know if a wine tastes good or not. You know, they may not necessarily care about all those things, but... But I think when you start to dig into it, those are a lot of the reasons why the Yakin Valley wines are pretty awesome. So Yeah, I, th- I think people either know it as North Carolina's first wine region, essentially North Carolina wine country, or they don't know it. You know, right. it's, it's either or. I, you know, Very few people might know it for something else other than wine. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, there is a lot of outdoors, uh, Pilot Mountain there, Stone Mountain, some great state parks, the the Yatkin River is what created Yatkin Valley, and there's great mm-hmm. kayaking and tubing on that. So I guess some people know that region for outdoors, but mainly I think uh, it's wine. 
for if they don't know that's what we want them to know it for. Well, let's take another step back. Uh, most of our <coughs> listeners probably know where the Yadkin Valley is, but geographically in the state, where would, how would you describe where it is? Well, I always say it's about, well, it actually, um, for Surrey County, we have one thing, but for the entire Yadkin Valley, it's in the northwest part of the state, uh, roughly bordered on the east by Winston-Salem and on the west by Wilkesboro, north to the Virginia line near Mount Airy and south down to Davie County. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kind of gets it to you yeah so you're really very convenient to the major metropolitan areas in north carolina and it's pretty i, I can't remember the number is like 1.3 million acres or something like that it's huge i mean it's pretty big so yeah it's quite a, quite a lot yeah it, it encompasses all or part of seven counties so it is not a small wine region sure and it's like right in the heart too so yeah. that's that's pretty awesome yeah so let's talk a little bit maybe about how the Gatkin Valley as an ADA got started. So uh, back in the day, tobacco was was big, particularly in Surrey County and eastern parts of Wilkes County and Yadkin County as well. Um, there was the tobacco buyout kind of in the, in the 90s, I guess. Um, and then the idea was, hey, let's maybe start looking at wine grapes and that sort of thing. Uh, so talk about maybe a little bit more about the beginnings of the Yadkin Valley and how things got going. Yeah, well, like you said, around late 90s, early 2000s, some people were starting to experiment with growing vinifera grapes. And if you look at the latitude and the altitude of Yatkin Valley, it is very similar to Napa. Hmm. Uh, Altitudes are roughly 1,100 feet, give or take a couple hundred, up to about 1,400. And then if you, as I said, if you look at the latitude, it's it's very similar latitude. So uh, it... It is conducive. Obviously, in North Carolina, you have more challenges with some humidity and a little more rain than you do in other areas. But uh, they found that it, it that grapes could grow there. There were a couple of legacy vineyards that kind of hung on, and, and they were there. And then in the early 2000s, I would say there was about a handful of, of wineries. And the Shelton brothers, uh, Charlie and Ed Shelton, who were Surrey County natives, who kind of went off to Charlotte and were large-scale developers and, and did very well, uh, one of the brothers bought a dairy farm back in Surrey County, and he didn't tell his, his brother. <laughs> Charlie bought it and didn't tell Ed <laughs> and for about a week later. And then he said, Ed, we, we, I, I bought something for us. And so uh, I think they kind of had an idea that they would do a winery. Um, it wasn't tobacco, but it was a dairy farm, but certainly a lot of tobacco fields around there. And they did it, and the, and the two of them were um, – they, they put a lot of effort into it, and they spurred getting the AVA designation in 2003. So then it became an official bona fide American viticultural area. February 7th, 2003 was the official. It is 1.4 million acres. Okay. Includes all of Wilkes, Surrey, Yadkin counties, with portions of Stokes, Versailles, Davie, and Davidson. Yes. <clears throat> and in Davidson County, they have the Southern Gateway Wine Trail in Lexington. Correct. Yes, yeah. I left them out earlier. So. Excellent. I was just going to add that, you know, working with Craig and, you know, Craig represents Surrey County and you have Mount Airy and Craig already referenced Stone Mountain. The, you know, the Stone Mountain is a, a granitic dome. So it's granite, uh, you know, mixed with some other minerals. It's the real Stone Mountain people. <laughs> And Mount Area is the Granite City, so these are all, you know, n- known for other things. But this part of the reason why, you know, this area 
could become an AVA is because you have to have these different characteristics that separate it from the surrounding area that make it unique and distinct. So, um, you know, those are just a couple. So he, you already mentioned the latitude and the elevation, but, you know, the, the soil con construct and, and the river is a big part of that too, because the Appalachian mountains were some of the oldest mountains on earth and, and have eroded away uh, due to water flow and other, other things. So, um, and you have these minerals left behind rocks and minerals that are left behind that really make, a wonderful uh, terroir. A lot of people say that the Blue Ridge Mountains, you know, our, our weather patterns come west to east and they break the way as the rain comes in, the mountains break it up. And so we're just on the east side of the mountains, the Brushy Mountains in the Blue Ridge. And a lot of people believe that knocks out just enough rain to make it easy, easier to grow grapes. I believe that is actually it, that piece is in the official petition that was, was well, created by. I've seen it happen. I can tell you, I've seen it happen. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched it I'm happen. Sure you yeah. times. Yes, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can watch storms just come in and part ways. And maybe, and yeah. nothing. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's it, around the time. Um, it sounds like there were three bonded wineries at the time when the uh, ABA was <clears> created, <throat> but that growth has has uh, has happened over the last 20 years or so, almost 20 years um, coming up, yeah. uh, 18, I guess, officially. So talk about how many wineries there are there, and I think there may have been a census that you guys were involved with to help get together and figure out the actual number. So maybe talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, so um, I think Craig reached out to me, and, and I, you guys were looking at, we thought we had winery number 50 in the Yadkin Valley on our hands, and so we were, uh, Craig reached out to me to verify, and I said, you know what, I don't know, because so we need to look into this a little bit further. So we started looking into it. And, you know, the, the funny thing about how you come up with this information is you've got vineyards and then you've got wineries. And so, you know, if you have a if you have a to, to make wine, you have to have a permit. So there's a federal record of this place is a wine producer. But if you have a vineyard, you don't necessarily have that. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, one website says this, another website says that. And, you know, somebody might have closed or changed hands or whatever. So, um we started to dig into it and, and uh, um, we, we quickly learned that we were, we were not quite at 50, but we were 48, I think is the number yeah. um, that we're at now. So, um, but that sort of led to a snowball of, you know, okay, well, we, we got this number. Okay, well, this, this map is not right. And this is the map that we've been using to tell people. So we need to get that fixed. And so then it just became like this, uh, you know, once we figured out the correct number and who they were, then we had to go back and sort of fill in the different materials and, um, so, you know, I'm, I sit on the Grape Council, which, again, is, uh, is part of the, the industry um, organization that we're tasked with spending. The state gives us gives the industry back some of its own excise taxes. So wineries pay excise, excise taxes that go into the state budget. And then some of that money comes back out to promote the industry. So um, we realized that we needed to work on updating this information and making sure that it was accurate. Yeah. So the, the current count is 48 wineries and that definition of winery is a place that has a public tasting room and one one or more of these two either or of these two characteristics which is vineyards on property or winemaking on property so um, but as as far as the growth yes uh, when the Shelton's opened in the early 2000s and then the AVA came um, that really created a boom and the Shelton's also uh, gave a, a good bit of funding to Surrey Community College for the Shelton Badgett 
North Carolina Center for Viticulture and Enology, which is a several million dollar winemaking school and viticulture school. And I've talked to several winery owners that said that was a reason why sure. they why they located. Uh, they were looking up and down the <clears throat> East Coast, but so that uh, the, the story was when the Sheltons first started, they had all talent that they they had to import their talent, all their employees. They had no locally trained, so they wanted to do something for that. And now their current winemaker was one of the early graduates uh, of Surrey's program. So that exponentially kicked in the growth, and there are now. 20 wineries on the Surrey County Wine Trail, and that includes a couple right on the border. Uh, so, yeah, it's really grown. Four uh, opened back in the fall, late summer and fall. It was uh, Sare Vineyards in Mount Airy, Pilot Mountain Vineyards and Winery uh, in Pilot Mountain, Golden Road Vineyards in State Road, and Hidden Vineyard in Dobson. And, and Golden Road was the last of those four to open, and that got us the, the whole valley to 48. Mm -hmm. And you see the growth in Wilkes County and, and all the other areas, too. And uh, a couple have opened recently in Davidson County. And I know we're going to be hitting 50 at some point in the next, probably it's next coming. year. I was going to say, we've got eight, and there's one, uh, you know, Castello Barona set to open in 2023, and then they've got a neighbor, um, Sotrio. And I'm not sure if Sotrio has plans or not to um, open a taste room, but I, I think they might. And then next door is it's actually Yadkin County, but Chateau Jourdain. Uh, and then up up the hill, you've got um, Dynamis, uh, which is the uh, Crosby Estate, the Highland Orchards. Hmm. It's coming along too. So, so do we have a, a census of like acreage of vineyards as well? No, that's um, I think a little bit more challenging. Because <laughs> <laughs> some, some of those no, no. folks don't even have websites and, yeah. and that sort of yeah. thing, so it'd be really hard to. That information, yeah, and even like our, necessarily have to be licensed, <clears throat> that, I guess. That's right, right. So, yeah, yeah. So, that's that's a we're, we're gonna have to figure that out. I think there's a way we can figure it out. We just that's our next maybe our next challenge. I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know who they are, now you can get to yeah, them. So. That's yeah. right. So, let's talk about the, the kinds of grapes, so primarily vinifera, um, and some hybrids, yeah, uh, but certainly not a whole lot of native grapes planted in this part of the state because we're trying to, to make use wine grapes uh, like European wine grapes and make those type styles of wine. And this is the area of the state that we can actually do that. Um, so talk about some of the varieties that we, we might find in the Atkin Valley. Well, um, you know, as far as really traditional, you've got Cab Sauve, you've got Chardonnay, Merlot, Syrah, uh, Petit Verdot, Sauvignon Blanc, and some of these are hybrids too. So I always say the the vinifera and the French American hybrids are doing well. Uh, Chamberson mm -hmm. does well. Uh, Tanat, um, Cynthiana, who some people call Norton, but uh, some people don't like to call it Norton. Norton. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Uh, go ahead. But no, go ahead. Uh, and then you, you'll have some uh, Sangiovese, and then, you know, even people will branch out with, um, what is it, Nebbiolo, a couple of places. Yeah. And what are some that you know, Thomas? Yeah, so um, obviously the Italian varietals, um, Vermentino, Montepulciano have done really well. Uh, Piccioni's got Nero Amaro. Um, 
I'm trying to think of his other. I know that Jay's, they recently planted uh, at Raffaldini, they planted uh, Trebbiano for the sparkling wine. Um, so that'll be exciting to see how that does. Um, Viognier does well. Viognier and also uh, Riesling. And Cab Franc. Yeah. That, that, sure. I, th- I kind of think that's um, a superstar for North Carolina. Uh, Silver Fork Winery in um, Morganton, they make a dynamite cab rock. There's a couple sure. of wineries in, in Hendersonville and Henderson County that do. And I, I just think that that is, is a grape that, that does well here. Definitely lots of varieties to choose from. And that, that's what makes it fun going to these various tasting rooms, is being able to taste that variety in, in, in uh, almost a horizontal, if you will, where you've got the same year but different properties yeah, it's fun to see how everyone has their own unique spin on the different mm-hmm. the different grapes and wines that mm-hmm. they produce one of the nice things about being at 18 20 years now and having the the viticulture school in the valley is that they kind of know now that a lot of they had the guinea pigs right they tried right. all kinds of different stuff and, and people still experiment but they kind of have their core now and they have much better knowledge hey if you're going to grow this this is what you got to do and if you want to grow this, you know, you're going to struggle. So they, it's, there's some really good industry knowledge there. And to Craig's point about Surrey Community College, I, um, Dave uh, Bauer, who's an instructor there, um, he invited me to speak to one of his classes. And there were students from Kentucky, California, New York. I mean, he had you know, other people who were attending his class virtually from other states at Surrey Community College. So that, to me, was a big deal. And that spoke highly to the quality of the industry that we have here. Sure. So that was, I was really excited to see that. So let's talk about um, getting people into these tasting rooms. What are those efforts like? Is it word of mouth? Is it, um, I'm sure there's other options, other ways that we're promoting it. Uh, well, for, for me, you know, the the early days, you know, we got, we were very fortunate to have the highway sign system, which is a huge draw. Um, and, and I remember just people saying how many times they're like, well, I've driven by your sign for 10 years and I finally decided to stop in, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. Um, but, um, so the, the, the more traditional methods would be the, the highway signage is a big draw. Um, of course you've got your various forms of advertising. Um, and nowadays, you know, digital is really the name of the game. Um, I mean, we're nearly hundred percent digital and, you know, PR is a, is a big part of that too, of, of persuasive sort of, you know, if you get a chance to, to get a story, you know, so a lot of these wineries have really cool stories. And if you can convey that or, or you can leverage that into news, um, then you can generate uh, impressions based on um, somebody's story that necessarily don't necessarily cost you money, you know, to place an ad or whatever. So, um, but, but I, for the Yakin Valley, you know, Charlotte to me is without a doubt the largest market and and then the triangle and and you know i was thinking about the fact that those two charlotte and raleigh are the consistently the most among the top fastest growing cities in the united states so there's constantly a i mean we love repeat customers don't get me wrong but there's just a constant influx of new people coming to the area and they might be coming from you know even from other countries but other parts of the other parts of the united states where you know they you know wine and they expect to find good wine so they they seek out I'm amazed that people would immediately seek out places to go find, you know, they discovered that there are wineries around. So, you know, that certainly helps. Yeah. I, I will uh, reiterate what he said. Those, those signs, the, the state sponsored signs, which I wouldn't have thought would move the needle. 
because um, when I'm driving, I, I don't know, I'm like a dry, I want to get to where I'm going. Like, <laughs> but they do people real and and um, and then another thing is hitting the big markets in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. We can't assume that everybody grew up here and knows it. Uh, and actually, I know people who did grow up here and don't know it. <laughs> so we we are constantly reinforcing that message. Hey, you you have a wine country in your backyard. You know, an hour, two, three hours away, however far you are, um, and it's it's wonderful. And so we, we it's just building that perception. And we have hosted uh, on the PR side a lot of wine writers over the years, and we really put an effort into that. And we just say, hey, come in if you you know. Turn off your preconceived notions. Come in, and we think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And um, come and experience it. You know, we can tell you it's great, yada yada. We can send you a couple of select bottles, and you know, but come in and do the tasting. So we've we've had uh, good luck with that, and we're we're working on a few things now uh, for the fall to bring in some media. So I think people read those stories, and they see it's such a beautiful area, and we have good imagery. So I think the the visual and, and the the stories, whether they're online, in print, TV, um, that's that's how we've been going about trying to spread the word. Mm-hmm. And we also one other thing, we get a lot of people from Ohio. They come right down I seventy seven. I'm just going to mention that. Yeah, they sure do. And uh, it's either a halfway point on their way to oh. our coastal locations, or you know, a lot of them have sort of made it now. Well, hey, you know, let's just go down there. We've driven through there a lot. We like it so. We did a, uh, a segment uh, one morning on a, a Cleveland morning show on TV, and uh, the host drive through, so they were familiar with this, and even they were shocked by how many of their viewers were like, "Yeah, I know that area," hmm. you know. So it's, and I guess that too goes back to the highway signs. I did right, a, of course, I did a tasting one time um, at the Fairfield Inn in Elkin. And um, there was a couple there with their young kid in tow, and um, so they were, we were pouring wine. And then they were, they told me they were they were from like the middle of Russia, and they got on the train and took the train from Russia to Japan, got on a plane, flew from Japan to California, rented a car, drove across the United States, and they were in Surrey County, <laughs> wow. tasting wine. <laughs> wow! <laughs> it was like because I was like, you know, you have to start the yeah. conversation. Where are you from? Like, we're from Russia. You know, we're from whatever Russia. I was like, okay. <laughs> Up. Yeah, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. Though. Yeah, it was it was super cool. So yeah, it just goes to show that uh, you know the the reach that we have and that that sort of wine is you know and this is part of the reason why people love wine is like it is I mean wine is is as old as several millennia old. So it um, you know and it's it's one of those things that literally you, you know you couldn't drink the water and so people made fermented beverages and wine was one of those and it was communal so you would have there's there's it invites the sharing like you can't mm-hmm. you can't make it alone and you can't drink it alone you know you have to have that sort of communal aspect to it so um, the way that it brings people together and it sort of draws this community closer so I just thought that was cool I, we're starting to see um, I, I'm on some emails where when people request a Surrey County wine trail map or if they request a visitor guide for Surrey County, you know, I, I'm on that so I can see. And we're starting to see more uh, requests from South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, which are traditional tourism markets for North Carolina. They just haven't traditionally come to wine country. They've come to the, our mountains or maybe our beaches or our ski resorts or our big cities. So I think the word is starting to spread uh, even farther, which is a, is a great thing. Absolutely. 
So there are a lot of efforts to really kind of partner up with those different areas to kind of do tag along experiences, like go to the mountains one day and then the vineyards the next and kind of market that as the, the destination. I think they've just sort of found it on their own. Um, I really think during the pandemic, a lot of people south of North Carolina were looking to come. I mean, I, I feel like half the state of Florida was in North Carolina all <laughs> last year. And I just think they were online and, you know, people had more time to, to search around. And, and uh, you know, it, it's a cumulative thing. You know, we now have how many wineries in the state? You guys probably know. 200 plus, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, it it builds on itself. And then people were looking for new experiences. And then with the pandemic, people were looking for outdoor experiences. And yeah. a lot of the wineries in Surrey County, I know in Wilkes County and throughout Yatkin Valley, they went heavily into the outdoor tasting. And it just, it really went well last year. And I think people told people told people and and we're seeing that, that our, we can cast our wet our net wider now so to craig's point i'll just add um <clears throat> that that the counties work together so surrey county uh wilkes yadkin caldwell work together in the yadkin valley heritage Garter. so that group promotes um agritourism cultural heritage and art um attractions uh, in the Yakin Valley region. So wineries and breweries, distilleries, as well as, you know, crafts and other um, music venues and things like that all kind of get promoted together. Um, so the, the, the region, we work together in the region in a variety of ways. Um, and that's just sort of one example. Um, and then also the, yeah, just the, the, the pandemic sort of created this demand for that, the type of rural, uh, you know, tourism experience that you know where you have you have things to do but you're not like at the beach you know you're kind of everybody's crowded together on the beach um so but you come to the mountains of nc you come to the yakin valley and you've got all these different things to do but everything's a little bit more spread out and it's a little bit more um you know there's a little bit more personal space i think and people just really gravitated towards that so i mean we're forever grateful for that sort of opportunity As, as, as bad as it was you know um the the type of opportunity that was created by the pandemic for this particular region, uh, you know, we, we couldn't, you know, we, we couldn't buy that sort of opportunity with advertising. Sure. So we're actually at a really good spot to take a quick little break. Uh, but when we come back, let's go ahead and talk about coming out of the pandemic and how wineries and, and establishments are kind of shifting. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. Thank you. So, what grape are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to be discussing Sangiovese. Excellent. Yeah. So, this grape originated in Italy. Um, There are three main regions in Italy that produce wine. So, uh, and this one's from the Tuscany region, those three. Veneto, Tuscany, and Piedmont are the three. And Sangio originated in the Tuscany region of those three. Uh, it's considered Italy's champion variety, and it dates back pretty far. Um, it's thought to have originated from selections made by the Etruscans all the way back in the Villanovan era. Not the area, the era. <laughs> so, you know, think back to world history. Don't quiz me on what the Etruscans do. Or did. <laughs> well, they were the precursors to the Romans, right? That sounds right. Yeah. See, don't quiz me on it. <laughs> yeah, so that's where it originated. It's an Italian grape, and it, spoiler alert, sometimes does well here in North Carolina. And I think this is our first Italian grape we've talked about. 
I think you're right. I think so. So how does it do here in the vineyards? So it does well. It's grown um, in a few different places. It is a thin skin grape, so there can be some issues with humidity and um, different things in this area because with the thin skin, it can easily break. And then with different mildews and stuff, if there's broken skin, it just is a breeding ground for a lot of different issues. So does it get um, its feelings hurt really easily too <laughs> with that thin skin? <laughs> Um, but it is a blue-black grape, um, and it ripens pretty late in the season. So that that's good for North Carolina. It easily adheres its genetics to the environment, which is interesting with Sangiovese. Sometimes they call it a chameleon in the vineyard. So it can mutate. And so there's a lot of different mutations of Sangiovese around. So that's helpful because you can hopefully find mutation that grows in different areas based on what you need. So there's some options with kind of which Sangiovese mutation you want to get and grow. And then the other thing with Sangiovese is that sometimes it does have excessive vine growth. So in North Carolina, that's an issue because we have good soil and everything. So we can get excessive vine growth and that would just take away some of the color and flavor from the grapes. So you just got to be careful about that in the vineyard. As you said, that's a problem for a number of varieties mm-hmm. because it, of the, you know, so one of the keys is maintaining that vigor and making sure that everything's going into the fruit and not going into the canopy. Exactly. So talk to us more about uh, wine styles and maybe some food pairings. Yeah, sounds good. So in the winery, it does well. Um, you know, it's a red grape, so it's typically made into red wine. We don't see it used a lot for other things. It's just your standard red wine. Um usually oak-aged, and that can depend if you want to do oak barrels or oak chips, but usually there's oak applied to it. And it does have a wide range when we were talking about the vineyard, but as far as the color. So it can be very light, depending kind of on how it was grown and the vigor of the vines, or it can be darker. So um, color shade, you can see a lot of different variation with Sangiovese. And it is the grape that's used in Chianti. So if you've had Chianti, maybe in the straw basket, you know what Sangiovese tastes like. Yeah, so in flavor and food profile then, so it's a pretty medium body, high acid and high tannin. Um, with So light oak, kind of calling back to the winery and how it's prepared, produced. Um, and it's often described as being savory. So, you know, could pair really nicely with lots of different foods because of that. So think like charcuterie or pizza, pasta, uh, or Italian foods like that. Yeah, it could go lots of different. This is a good wine for, you know, the saying, what grows together goes together. So it's good for your Italian fare. Yeah, I think we'd second that. I mean, just trying to think through of other stuff that we may have paired Sangio with, and it's tomatoes, tomatoes, pizza, pasta. Right. I think it could cut through the fat on some salami really nicely. So I think sure. Or like pepperoni. For sure. Yeah. I can see that. Excellent. Anything else about Sangio? Sanjo, go get some. (laughs) (laughs) Well, excellent. Jesse and Jessica, this has been a great time. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at Wine Mouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. All right, so we are back with Thomas and Craig. So let's talk a little bit about uh, how the wineries have come out of the pandemic. We mentioned just before the break, 
uh, kind of some of the response during it. But now things are opening back up, people are getting a little more comfortable and kind of easing their way back out. What does that look like? So for me, I would say that, um, you know, from a, from an industry perspective, we were always constantly challenged by how to how to manage crowds. And that was always it was so inconsistent. I mean, you had certain days that you knew were going to be busy, but then there would there would every once in a while you'd have a day that just totally sideswiped you and you had no idea. And, you know, those were always the best days because you were, you know, when you're busy, time moves quickly. Right. But, um, you know, a lot of wineries went to this reservation model because that was sort of the way that that you, you know, because we were limited by the crowd size and we had to say, okay, well, you know, you can have this many people per square foot or whatever. Uh, That just seemed like the natural way to control that. And, and, And also, I think that the reservation model gives people a better experience because you're able to manage every step of the, of the visit. Right. So like part, managing people's expectations is a big part of the wine industry service. And so if you're able to, to provide some, or have some control over, um, you know, getting them seated and, and served in a prompt manner, then that helps you, um, you know, but uh, from a tourism standpoint, I would say that, you know, different wineries got either got comfortable, they liked or didn't like different aspects of service the way that the service model shifted so they either adopted or didn't adopt you know um different different protocols so i would encourage the visitor to um you know check the winery website before they go out um, and look for different wineries you know now with 200 wineries in the state you know there's different different brands and different experiences that are available so if you're looking for a more upscale experience or you're looking for a more casual experience you know check the winery website you know read check out their social media look at some of the reviews and things like that to see what, look at the, you know, bottle price, tasting price and things of that nature so that you can get an idea for, um, you know, for example, should we bring our dog, you know, are our kids allowed? Um, do we, can we take a picnic? Uh, so different wineries have different protocols that are in place and, and aim to provide us different levels of service. Um, and, and again, like we were talking about with varietals earlier, you know, do they make sweet wine or do they make dry wine or are they mostly white, mostly red? I mean, so you have a, a lot to choose from. Um, so I think it, it it helps if the customer can can do some research prior to planning that trip to um, to, to kind of figure out what it is that they want and sure. to come come to that place with it already with a little bit of an understanding of what type of experience they're going to have. Sure. Um, and of course, that I mean, you know, that. Uh, is, is um, sort of implies that people would, um, you know, that's a lot to ask is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, and you also have to make sure the, the information is there too. So the exactly. Is the yes. vineyard, so they have to be posting what is our procedures? What are we doing right now? So. That's absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So one of the things that worked really well during the pandemic, and and I, I've been told this and I believe it, that it will continue is the, instead of doing your traditional poured tasting where the person talks about each wine and pours and you maybe use the same glass or you go through six glasses, you get a flight now. And you, you pick your six or five or six or seven and they pour them and you go to your table or you go outside. Uh, you know, similar to the brewery experience, right? It was done in the pandemic to limit the interaction. And especially if people were outside, you couldn't go and keep pouring and you didn't want reusing glasses and you certainly wouldn't want a server continuing picking up your glass and pouring it. So a lot of the wineries, I would say, especially the smaller wineries who have just not a lot of staff, 
that worked better for them because let's say you have two people behind the bar that are conducting tastings and it's a Saturday and you've got people rolling in and out. You know, you got some people that are halfway through a tasting. You're trying to start another one. You, you, so they realized, wow, you know, how much easier it is to pour and, and let them go on their own pace. Now, they, it doesn't mean they'll do away with the traditional tasting because some people want to hear that, right? But some people, it's two or three couples or groups of friends, and, you know, they just as soon have the tasting and talk amongst themselves. So I think you'll see that. Uh, more outdoor spaces were claimed, patios. Um, that was big. I think I'm, we're kind of moving toward that anyhow. I think the... The generations now who are traveling more are more outdoorsy. Uh, so I think we were moving toward that, and, and the pandemic only accelerated that. I know we mentioned Golden Road Vineyards, which is the one that most recently opened. They uh, opened in the pandemic, and one of the first things they did is they built these fire pits all around the outside. I mean, that was not in their plan, but you open in uh, October, <laughs> you know, and you, you can't have people warm. inside, right? right? And so that people are loving that. People don't mind if it's kind of cold, but if they have a fire, you know, so there, there's a lot of outdoor space being used now, and I think we'll see that. And pet-friendly, I think, yeah. too. So. And also, uh, to kind of elaborate on what Craig said, is the, the pairing of wine experience with, like, an outdoor experience. So, you know, for example, um, Elkin Creek, which is in Wilkes County, was right there in Elkin, um, you know, they're right there close to the mm -hmm. forest bathing trail and the um, uh, Carter Falls trail. So there's hikes, uh, which connects with Grassy Creek and Adagio um, vineyards. So you can hike, go, you know, get your you park at the winery. You can hike, get some wine, you know, take a little hike and you're not far from any of the one places. So you can come back off the trail if you want to or, you know, and same thing like at Roaring River Vineyards. They've got the there's trout fishing. Um, they have a spa. Uh, they have, um, you know, a, a sort of an adjacent property that has a little bit of a hiking trail on it. Um, so there's different, you know, Raffledini hosts hikes a couple times a year. Um, so, you know, Stardust has a, our, one of our wineries, Stardust Cellars, has got a dog, uh, you know, dog park. Or they have an outdoor similar to what Craig's talking about with, with a campfire. You know, they, they also have camping there. A lot of wineries do offer RV parking or camp parking, you know, tent park, tent camping and stuff like that. So. Um, the, the incorporation of outdoor and sort of embracing that agritourism, you know, the, the mm -hmm. agricultural side of the tourism experience uh, is, is value add for wineries, I think. So Thomas, you talked a little bit about like places to stay and how people are lodging and that sort of thing. But maybe let's talk a little bit more about what are the options for folks that are coming into the area for staying as well as what are the options to actually get to those wineries? Because there's a couple of car services or trolleys or something out that have started to pop up some Let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah, so um, really, the you can literally do a tent camp on a on a dirt lot all the way up to a you know three or four star hotel, um, and it, depending on how far you're willing to drive, you know you can actually get a really luxury experience. Um, so we're we're very fortunate that we have a, a variety of lodging uh, to suit anybody's uh, comfort level or, or needs or budget. Um, you know, of course, Airbnb and VRBO is a, is a big thing. And so we're blessed with lots of beautiful pasture land, farmland and, and farmhouses that people have converted into Airbnbs and you can stay. And um, so as far as transportation goes, I know that, um, you know, we use um, and most of these. You have to understand that most of the people that are coming to the area are originating from and it's still a day tripping is very, very, 
most sure. most of the of what we get for wineries. Um, so you know you might have like a limo service or somebody coming out of Charlotte, um, and then you might have like a um, a shuttle. But then you have a few folks that do the shuttle specifically for wine, and like that's all they do is just do wine tours. Um, and I know Craig probably wants to talk about the the vine line. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you have any other ideas in terms of lodging or transportation, but. Well, I think one another thing coming out of the pandemic, what we saw during the pandemic is people wanted vacation rentals, cabins. Mm-hmm. You know, a cabin could be, a, some of them are pretty luxury, but they wanted a cabin, a cottage, a vacation rental. They, they wanted small scale lodging. And uh, I was just looking here at uh, all of these are uh, just in Surrey County. These are wineries that have on-site lodging, Carolina Heritage, Elkin Creek, Grassy Creek, Hayes Gray, Hidden Vineyard, Jolo, Pilot Mountain Vineyards, Round Peak, Sarah Vineyards, Shelton Vineyards, Slightly Askew, and Stony Knoll. And uh, I've talked to some of them, and they're looking to add more. Hmm. So people like the cat, you stay in the vineyards, you know, it's just, it's a nice thing. And so that is big. And then, you know, of course, your, your normal hotels and, and, mm-hmm. and as Thomas said, Airbnb. So I, people, I think, really like, you get the full experience if you're staying at the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's something to that. And it's such a pretty country. So uh, as far as services, yeah, the, the Elkin Vine Line started right before the pandemic. And their model was to run continuous loops. And throughout Surrey, Yadkin, and Wilkes counties, you have, I think they have four different loops. It's like the, the purple loop and the green loop, you know, kind of like almost like the light rail you get on your color. And um, the, you, you, get a, you download their app and, and you know where the, the, bu- the bus is and you get, you get off and then you wait. So they, they made it through the pandemic and have done real well. So I think that's good. There's a lot of car services that, that will do things now as well. Um, so winery tours, I think people, you know, they want to come and then not have the burden of driving around. And so I think we'll see a lot of growth in that. Yeah, that's a huge area of need because um, there there were a few times when, you know, people would get an Uber and come out and they might assume they could get a ride back. And, you know, they would call and then the driver would even say, here's my number, call me. And they would call and they wouldn't, they couldn't get through. They couldn't leave a voicemail or anything. They'd be stuck out there. So that is a, you know, that was an issue. So. Um, but yeah, I would add that, you know, um, in terms of uh, vineyards with onsite lodging in Wilkes, um, you know, we have Stardust, which is a Harvest Host affiliate. Um, Roaring River has cabins that overlook the Roaring River. Mm-hmm. They have an onsite, onsite restaurant. And Craig already mentioned Elkin Creek, but again, the cabins right there, um, right there on the um, big Elkin Creek and the pizzas that they do are phenomenal. So they are. <laughs> so I think it's, it's, we, we had, we hosted a writer a few years ago, um, kind of a national writer. And I remember something she said about visiting Yatkin Valley and, and how she was able to interact with the owners of the winery and the people who grow the grapes. And she said it reminded her of Napa in the 70s before it begot, before the crowds came, you know, where you had to wait in line an hour just to get in the winery and things like that. And I think that's what people like is you, you get out there, there's a lot of winery, there are people coming, but you... You can have that nice experience. You can stay there and you feel like you're part of something and it's not the Disney World effect. Yeah, I would 
Definitely agree with that. I think that's something that's unique about North Carolina and probably Virginia as well and the Finger Lakes yeah. and New York East Coast in general. You still get to meet the owners. You still yeah. get to interact with the people who this is their passion and that passion, it's nice to see that and to share that with them a little bit. So that is definitely one of the uh, best aspects for me at least. Yeah, I, I always tell people, um, if you do a tasting, chances are the person that's pouring your tasting either made the wine or grew the grapes, or did both. Yeah, yeah. Right. you got it, Joe. I would say that from an industry standpoint, you know, we're really fortunate that, um, so for example, you know, Mark Hoffman, who is the, the um, so North Carolina State, he's the wine professor, I say the wine professor, that's really dumbing down what he actually does there, which is a lot, it's very technical, but, uh, you know, he has connections with Cornell University, uh, David Bauer, you know, he's at Surrey Community College, has got, he's from New York State, so, um, he's and also Surrey's a Vesta member. And Vesta is I can't remember the whole acronym, but it's a Viticulture and Enology Science and Technology Association or something like that. Hopefully, I got that right. Um, you know, so there's there's that active networking among the industry affiliates and the educational side um, that that help bring the industry together. And even even organically within the industry, you know, we work with. Um, uh, my buddy Paul Vigna, and he has a winemaker roundtable. So like every year, winemakers will drive from from North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, uh, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York. They all meet together, usually in Maryland or Delaware, and they have a sort of a, a roundtable where they sit around and they taste each other's wine and they talk about the the tough stuff, you know, the flaws and everything of their wines. And so... Um, with, with the West Coast, I would say that I'm sure there's some collaboration, but it's a little bit harder to get it, you know, because of the space that's involved and the industries are so vastly spread apart. But here on the East Coast, you know, we, we have the benefit of, of just being closer in proximity in terms of the connectivity. So um, that, that ability to network here on the East Coast really. Um, and I think to a certain extent, too, we're, we're um, like misery loves company, right? And growing grapes on the East Coast is so hard. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, you know, to commiserate over the humidity or like the rainfall or whatever. Or and just lake frost. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just it creates that sort of camaraderie among the industry sure. uh, here on the East Coast. That And the fact, too, I think that we're the underdogs. Right. And so right. that that's, uh, gives people a, a motivation to kind of to, to improve and do better. So being an underdog and going back to a point uh, Craig made earlier, how do we how do we overcome some of these preconceived notions that oh, it's North Carolina wine, that's Yakin Valley wine. It's not going to be that good. How do we how do we do that? Is it is it getting people in the tasting rooms and getting yes. them to taste it? That, that's it. I, I've talked to some people with Visit North Carolina, our state tourism office, and, and they would like to see more restaurants carrying North Carolina wine. And I think that's great. But a lot of these wines, wineries are smaller. Right, and they are. As you mentioned, the the late frost and the challenges, their yields vary from year to year. Sure. You know, some of these larger West Coast wineries, they have hundreds and hundreds of acres under grape, and they pretty much know they're going to get them, and they can produce enough to have it there at the tasting room and put it out to market. Uh, it's not necessarily the case here. So uh, I think, you know, get them to there. Get, getting the people to the wineries, whenever they come, I say nine out of 10, love it and want to come back. And uh, it just takes time, you know, but we pick them off one by one, two by two. <laughs> what you guys do is great. Uh, you, you educate the industry. You, you reach out to people. You're on Twitter. You know, you're, you've got your website and blog and 
it's just a, a cumulative effect. I, I feel like the snowball is rolling, mm-hmm. and it was tiny for a while, but now it's it's getting bigger and bigger. So there's no substitute for you can tell people all day how good the wine is, but until they try it. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've always found interesting is when when there are contests and it's blind judging, North Carolina wines do very well. And I think it takes out that perceived bias of the judges. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, not everybody's knocking it out of the park with all of their wines, but I bet you go to most of these wineries, you're going to find some really good wines, more than one or two at each place that you're going to really like. And I'll add to Craig's comments. Um, so, yeah, the, the consumer side of it is definitely uh, critical to get people to taste the wine, just getting people in the front door. Um, I would also add from an industry perspective, you know, you talked about the NC Fine Wine Society, um, even with the, the North Carolina um, State Fair wine competition, you know, trying to increase the, the quality of the submissions and the, and the um, sort of, I don't want to say strict, but the, the, the judging, you know, the way that we judge and the way that we evaluate the wines, kind of ratcheting up that, that uh, uh, notch every year to make the, um, especially with the Fine Wine Society, I mean, they're already very strict and the judges are, you know, advanced and master sommeliers only. Um, and, and that in itself sends a, sends a message to the rest of the industry that this is a serious business here. Um, and then also, too, I think that that getting the, the wines, uh, the consistency and the quality of the wines across the board. Um, so like Craig said, you know, not every wine from every location is going to be knocking out of the park, but we have the, the tools in place to help people if they have a problem or they have a, a problem wine or they're, they're facing an issue or just to deal with this variation in the weather. I mean, you know, the, the research is, is starting to be put, you know, like you said, the, we've been here for 20 years now. Um, so that research is starting to be developed and so people have tools and, and things that they can go back to and say okay well what did we do here and what do we do there and so now they know and um, you know just in the 12 years that I've been in the industry um, the the increase in quality of wine you know when you look at it year over year you don't really notice it but then when you step back and you kind of taste a wine from 10 years ago or, or you know just going around and like I don't unfortunately get around as much as I would like to but you go around and taste, you say, man, these wines are really good. And yeah. that, that was just like a super encouraging. I, I recently, I was able to go around and do some tasting at other places. It's like, man, these are awesome wines. So it's great to see um, that improvement and that that quality across the board. So you know when you send somebody out to taste that they're going to have a good time. So Absolutely. So you both have hinted at some activities that you've done here and there to kind of you know draw more visitors in and actively market what are some of the things that have worked really well in the past and what do you want to see the industry doing more of? So one thing for me uh, and and talking about the the grape council and I've tried to push this is, is um, to get other people to talk about North Carolina wine. So, you know, the wine guys uh, you know, the industry, people are used to hearing it from the wine makers and the owners and the people who work there, right? Like they're used to hearing us talk about the wine, but, but Craig referenced the restaurants, you know, we value our partners, partnerships with the restaurant industry um, the hospitality industry, um, you know, the, the other types of uh, industries affiliated with wine, whether it be country clubs or um, different things like that, you know, just getting other people to endorse North Carolina wine, I think is really important um, to have that, that other third, that third party. Um, the, you can't replace somebody else's, you know, trustworthiness or their, their word. One of the things we've done in Surrey County is the winter wine passport. 
And that has been tremendously successful. And basically, you purchase a passport, and if you, it's the the period starts the day after Thanksgiving, which is the Black Friday, I guess, right? And it runs through the in, toward the end of March. And uh, you purchase the passport, and it gets you a tasting at all of the participating wineries. Um, we didn't do it last year, obviously, for uh, safety reasons. But uh, the year before that, it was extremely successful, and it will be probably even more so this year. There's new wineries on that have come on board. So um, that has really created, because we really market that outside of our area. We want people coming in from Raleigh and Wilmington and Charlotte and Asheville you know, the, 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 not just right in our area. And um, for someone to buy that passport, they've got to spend some time, right? You, you, you can't just go to one place or two places. So it, it puts heads in beds, as we call it. And uh, the fact that it lasts for several months is the purchaser doesn't feel like, oh, I've got, I've only, I, I have this little window and if I, you know, so they, they can make a couple of trips. Mm-hmm. And that has been really, uh, I, I'd mm-hmm. say, has been something that is really brought a lot of attention to our area. And then we created uh, the Surrey Wine Trail, which uh, to kind of demystify the experience. And we have a map and it's free. Uh, you can go to yatkinvalleync.com and get it. Uh, but that's been just a, a nice little marketing piece where the wineries give it out and, and you know, people like to visualize it. And um, it kind of, you know, so it, it makes it allows people to plan their trip. And anything that we can do, and I know uh, Thomas does that as well, and we created a Google map for the whole industry of all 48 wineries and just anything that can demystify the experience and let people know. Because, you know, you hear, oh, yeah, there's this wine country, but, well, where do I go? You know, what, 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 what town, what city do I go to? Which wineries do I go? So uh, sometimes we know it, we live it, but we need to make sure that people can visualize it and have some collateral material. Yeah, I think the map is really critical because number one, it's electronic, right? So you're sitting there, you can look at it on your phone, you can tap on the, and then automatically punch the direction to that place. So like if Craig says this to myself, well, it's, it's in so-and-so, then you're like, well, where's that? You know, you have no idea. Um, and then also the visual to be able to see the, the different pins and see their proximity and how close they are, that kind of gives you that, uh, that sort of eliminates that variable of how we don't know where exactly where we're going or how far and, then you can kind of find other things that are around it, maybe to eat or stay. Um, and so, you know, other other maps out there maybe don't include everybody because they didn't buy an ad or they didn't whatever, you know. So um, this way it, it, it's all encompassing and, um, you know, it, it's got the information is already integrated into the because it's a Google map. So. so what would you say would, the, would be the next five years? What does it look like for the Yadkin Valley? I would say slow, steady growth in the number of wineries. Um, I don't think we'll see a huge surge in new, but I think we'll continue to see some new. And I think the existing wineries are going to um, add add more acreage, add more grapes. Uh, most of them sell out pretty much mm-hmm. every year. Uh, so um, I, I think the industry is healthy, and as more people find out about it, um, I think it's it, you're going to see a nice steady growth. I think you'll see, um, you know, wineries, uh, established wineries will will sort of create a, a repertoire of core wines, and then you might have these sort of experimental wines or experimental. Maybe they'll plant an experimental acreage or something and try something mm-hmm. new. Um, also, too, I'll say that with the weather, you know, you have about every five years you have at least one kind of extreme year, whether it be drought or rain or, or hot cold. 
But I think wineries are able to now um, account for that. So they might, uh, you know, how that plays into their winemaking schedule or repertoire, you know, they'll be able to to know, okay, well, one of these five years is going to be an extreme year. So we're going to do something a little bit differently or make sure that we have a, a, a hedge in place to make sure that we have product and consistency throughout the lineup to, to um, because, you know, you have a vintage and then, you know, like if it's a red wine, then it might be three to five years before that wine hits the shelf. So, you know, you've got uh, um, that, that, and it, that lead time without that, without that plan in place, then, you know, you don't want to be without a wine because then you're not making money. So, right. Um, so having that sort of accounting for extreme weather, I would say that figuring that out. And, and wineries are adding amenities mm-hmm. like we've been talking about, whether it's being dog friendly or whether it's a, a cornhole area or cabins on site or, Tours in the vineyards, trails in the vineyards. Grassy Creek uh, has an extensive trail system throughout their property. So I think that'll be another thing is what else can we do when we're here at the winery? And and we'll see just more and more things like that. Definitely people are looking for that whole experience. Yeah. And there's there's plenty of opportunity in this area for, for that, the yeah. whole experience. Food, food trucks on the weekends, mm-hmm. most of them now, uh, the ones that don't have their own kitchen or restaurant. I mean, that's great, and that's perfect. They don't get locked in on one. You know, one right. week it's lobster rolls. The next week it's burgers, you know. Yeah. So right. Lots of food trucks. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, from my early years, when you saw um, wineries that were just having wine tastings or whatever, you would you would get those serious wine people would come, but they were, you know, again, they were kind of on a mission to taste wines and to attract the families or other people that maybe are fringe kind of, they drink wine, but they also drink, uh, you know, spirits or beer, you know, to compete with that. You would have these amenities are going to really play in because it's going to become an all day sort of experience where, you know, you can bring the kids, you can bring the dog, you can do whatever. Um, and just to kind of if they're traveling up here, you know, they have a plan and they have they know what's available to them and they spend the whole hopefully multiple days, you know, uh, spend the night uh, in our lodging and stuff. So, um, you know, that's that's our goal. Very cool. Yeah. I, earlier you mentioned day trips. They're fun, but it's always good to, you know, spend right. more time there. So Absolutely. Plan, a, yeah. plan a long weekend. Definitely. Yeah. yeah and if you want to um, plan a long weekend uh, in Wilkesboro, we would love to have you. Um, you can reach us at uh, explorewilkesboro.com. And um, the map that Craig and I put together is available there, as well as, um, you know, our other list of uh, distilleries and uh, breweries and, and wineries. And lots of great outdoors. Yep. Hiking, paddling, mountain biking. So what is one thing you want visitors to the area to know when they come to visit? What I just touched on was the outdoors. In Surrey, I I keep talking about Surrey, but also throughout Yatkin Valley, uh, Yatkin, Wilkes County, there is is a lot of great hiking. There are are state parks, there's rivers, um, lakes, a lot of mountain biking trails are being developed. So you really get to get outside and it is the rolling topography and the Blue Ridge Mountains are off in the distance or the farther west in the Yakin Valley you get, you're, you're almost in the mountains. So I think you, you get a nice outdoors vacation as well as a wine experience. And it's relaxing, uh, not, not overly crowded. You don't have to worry about finding parking places or anything like that. And I think it just has a nice laid back vibe really throughout the Atkin Valley. And uh, I think people, if they know that, then, then I'd, like, I'd like them to, to be aware of that and, and the quality of the, the time they're going to spend, not just at the wineries, but in Yakin Valley in general. 
I'll give a two-part answer. Um, number one is um, to let go of any sort of stereotypes or, or preconceptions uh, about the wine or the experience that you have before you come and let us, you know, let us sweep you off your feet. Um, but to piggyback on Craig's point about the outdoor recreation, you know, a lot of our trails and things um, tie back into North Carolina history and North Carolina's place in, in the, our country's history. And so you have the Overmountain Victory Trail and the Mountains to Sea Trail. And a lot of these are big, mm-hmm. our big recreational assets. But the reason why they're there is because they played a key role in the history of our state and of our nation. So um, I think taking the time to, to figure out, uh, you know, what why they're there and what they're used for originally was is uh, is enlightening and would be uh, something that i think would be of good value to the visitor so thomas and craig thank you very much you both gave us uh, a lot to talk about where do people go if they want to find more information for uh wilkes you can go to wilkescountytourism.com uh, explorewilkesboro.com um yeah, that's our website, our social media. Um, Facebook is uh, Visit Wilkes and See, or I'm sorry, Wilkes and See Tourism. And then um, Instagram is uh, Visit Wilkes and See. Yeah, and for Surrey County, you can just go to yatkinvalleync.com. Make sure you get that NC at the end of Yatkin Valley. And of course, all our links to social are on there. So, very cool. Craig Thomas, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Everyone go out and check out the Yatkin Valley. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Thomas and Craig. Visit the show notes page for this episode for links to the Wilkes and Surrey County Tourism website. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find more information at patreon.com slash corktalk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a free LLC production. This episode was made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.